This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have David Bernard, developer advocate at Revenue Cat. David, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Great. Thanks for coming. So I think at this point, and especially right now, we all watch movies on Netflix, listen to music on Apple Music or Spotify, deliver stuff we buy on Amazon via Amazon Prime. We get all these services via subscription. Today, there are many apps that went subscription model, and it's become how many app developers make money with apps. But it's not that rosy as it may sound. Today, we have David to tell us about app subscriptions and why actually it's not that rosy. But as always on this show, keeping the tradition, let's talk about you, David, first. Uh, Tell us about yourself and how did you get involved into app development and what brought you to RevenueCat? Oh, wow. Uh, I'll try to make this brief since you did promise the listeners a, uh, a focused brief show. I intend to drone on if, if given the opportunity. So I actually started app development uh, 12 years ago. When Steve Jobs announced the iPhone SDK, I was kind of at a transition in my life and just jumped in head first. So I've been building apps since the very start of the App Store. I had an app in within a month of the App Store being released and I've been an indie developer ever since. And so then that actually led me to Revenue Cat. I started putting subscriptions in my apps in uh, 2017. And as you said, the, the parts of subscription that aren't rosy is the actual implementation part. So dealing with StoreKit and all the code around that. I actually don't code myself. I work with partners and contractors. And so the person I was working with at the time, I mean, he just beat his head against the wall with subscriptions. We had so many bugs. We had to remove our monthly subscription for a while because we just couldn't get the renewals right. We were trying to do everything client side instead of having a server set up because he wasn't good at server side stuff. And so it was just a disaster. And so I ended up looking at RevenueCat as a user and started uh, getting it integrated into my app and then ended up talking to the CEO, Jacob, and one thing led to another. And so now here I am, developer advocate at Revenue Cat. But then what's super fun is that I actually still run my app business. So I'm a customer of Revenue Cat and I'm a, on the team, you know, helping make it a better product for developers, helping developers use it better and better monetize apps with it. So, yeah. That's a nice story. Before talking about Revenue Cat, let's touch briefly on your apps. What are you working on with your apps right now? Well, I have two kind of main apps I still focus on, and that's uh, LaunchNet Pro and WeatherUp. I'm actually super excited about what's coming in iOS 14. LaunchNet Pro is like a productivity app where you can create shortcuts to like, you know, like ones I use all the time are just call and text my wife. Like I don't have to go to the phone app, tap a bunch of buttons, go to favorites, you know, everything. So instead, I just create a shortcut, like one tap to call her. And what's super exciting is now with widgets on the home screen, you can put those shortcuts right on your home screen. So that's super exciting. And then similarly, my weather app, I mean, weather is like going to be one of the primary use cases for widgets on the home screen. And yeah. so we, we had already been working on some really cool stuff for the Apple Watch. 
And it just makes so much sense, like design-wise, to translate that to a widget as well. So we're wrapping up development on some really cool Apple Watch complications, widgets for iOS 14, updates to the app. So pretty exciting time in my app business, in addition to everything I've got going on with uh, Revenue Cat and everything else. Do you have uh, feels like temperature in your complication for Apple Watch? Because this is what I've been waiting for the you know, default Apple's app for ages Or is the feels like temperature in the app complication on my Apple Watch? Yeah, I don't think we're going to get that in the 1.0 of our, our app. I will say, I mean, I have a competitor, Carrot Weather, that is incredibly customizable. That's kind of his, the thing about Carrot Weather that so many people love is like it's infinitely customizable. So uh, shout out to him. And <laughs> if, if that's exactly what you want, Carrot's perfect for that. We're kind of taking a little bit broader view and, you know, we'll be, we'll be launching it in the next couple months. And I think it'll make a lot of sense when we do, but we kind of took a weatherman approach of like, instead of like for the visual complication, instead of like, you know, every hour on the hour telling you exactly what's happening. We kind of take a broader view, like a weatherman would just saying like, Hey, it's going to be sunny in the afternoon. It's going to be rainy overnight, you know, stuff like that. So, so for now, like for the 1.0 of our Apple watch, we're, we're focused more on the broader picture versus like putting the feels like right on your, on your wrist. Got you. Okay. Let's talk about revenue cats. Uh, so what do you guys do? What is your company mission? Our company mission, and this is actually the way it's written is to help developers make more money. And that is our our mission. So we're a platform for subscription apps. At the very basic level, we like remove a lot of the complexity around integrating Apple Store Kit and Google Play services, or I forget exactly what they call it. But each one of those has so many quirks and bugs and hassles and is challenging to write the code and implement. And then each of them also require server-side components to verify receipts, to verify user status. So if you're adding subscriptions to your app, you need all of this infrastructure. And so our, our kind of the first primary kind of thing we solved was that. And so we have incredible open source SDKs that drop into your app, make it really easy to communicate with verifying receipts and and installing, getting purchases and monetization up and going. And then that all talks to our backend. And then, so we're now building out more and more features. We just released a price testing feature. So you'll be able to not just A-B test, like which, you know, which one gets clicked more and which one made me more money. But we actually, because we have thousands of apps now on our platform, we have some really great understanding of renewal patterns and things like that. So we actually built a sophisticated LTV model. And that's the endpoint of your price testing is like, which of these prices is actually going to make me more money, not just which one you know, clicks more, but which one is more likely to retain longer and actually, you know, generate better revenue. And so we're able to inform that LTV model with our aggregate data and really help developers set the best price. And then our integrations on our back end, like you can push your subscription data to mix panel and amplitude and attribution partners. And if you have your own data warehouse, we do ETLs to data warehouses. Uh, you can drop a thing in Slack where you get the little ding, ding, ding every time somebody subscribes. So yeah, so, so we do everything from the client side SDKs and we support all like Cordova and uh, Unity and all the, you know, third-party development frameworks. So the client SDKs, the 
the back end. So we just kind of manage subscriptions for developers end to end and then are adding more and more value along the way as far as just helping developers make more money. That's great. I, uh, that's really exciting to hear that you guys are helping developers with LTV because long-term planning, this is what essentially makes your business sustainable in a uh, long run, not just you know short-term gains. But I think uh, it's not possible to not ask this question because we've been living through this thing, uh, all of us. How has COVID-19 influenced revenues cap business? Did you have to change anything in your operations, the product itself? <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting. We were already a distributed company. So I was hired remotely last September. We already had two or three remote employees when I joined. So by the time the lockdowns came and people started having to learn to work from home, we were like 12 or 13 people and only three or four were even showing up at the office at all. So operations wise, we had spent the last year adjusting to remote work and dialing in our processes and figuring out how to better use Slack and Zoom and things. So from an operations standpoint, it really didn't impact us at all. We were very fortunate to have, uh, or, you know, CEO before I even joined made that decision to switch to remote. And so, yeah, we didn't miss a beat. And then interestingly, I mean, COVID like just accelerated our business, which ended up actually being a really challenging few months for us because, you know, we're, we're a smaller team growing like crazy. So we were in the middle of hiring people, support got crazy, right? As we were trying to hire more support people. And so for the first like couple of months, it just felt like the wheels were coming off with new customers coming in and, you know, challenges to, to keep our infrastructure scaled and revenue was just growing like crazy. But because things were going so well, we ended up raising a series A in July to accelerate our plans, you know, we, we were actually, you know, we charge our users because we provide a really great service that actually helps them make more money. So we charge and have from the beginning. So we were, you know, doing quite well financially. We didn't need to raise money. But now having that money in the bank gives us a ton more flexibility and allows us to continue growing and executing as fast as we can versus, you know, you, you know, having to kind of thread the needle of, of how fast we grow versus how fast our revenue is growing. So it's super exciting. Like we've ended up hiring data scientists, product designer, two senior data engineers. So we're 17 or 18 people. It's hard to keep track with a, with a startup these days. And then, you know, we'll be uh, 20 before the end of the year and 40 next year. And what's cool is like, you know, all of us focused on helping developers manage their subscriptions and better monetize their apps. So, uh, you know, if you think about a lot of companies just have, you know, one person dedicated to trying to keep the back end up for their subscription services and you're writing all the client side code to talk to that service. And then when it goes down, they're the ones who get the call at 2 a.m. Well, now, you know, we're already 17 people managing that for you. So yeah, COVID just really accelerated all of that. I mean, from accelerating our, our growth and revenue to accelerating our funding and product roadmap. So it's, it's, it's been a very exciting time to be at the company. I will say, I mean, I feel just so incredibly fortunate and we all do. I mean, there, you know, there's so much hardship going on and so many people losing jobs and so many businesses that have been negatively impacted. So we, we feel just incredibly fortunate to be able to grow and, and be in a strong position during this really hard time. Yeah, so here, David, um, this is great. So you're helping so many app developers to, you know, put food on the table in these hard times. So 
and you're you're having their their back one just a it's a good analogy that they they don't have to you know wake up in in the middle of the night to you know pick up some trouble with the subscription on their server but let's talk about app subscriptions broadly uh, when it was introduced uh, on the App Store and why it actually was introduced to the you know, previously existing models like paid, in-app, and premium. Yeah, so, and I'll probably get the dates a little wrong, but it's interesting how subscriptions on the App Stores have been a very slow progression. So, you know, when, that, when the App Store was first released, it was paid or free, and Steve Jobs famously said... A free app is always free. Like you can't have any purchases in. And like people who just got in the industry in the last few years or, you know, who weren't around from the beginning forget that like from the very beginning, Steve Jobs said, free apps are free. They're always free. There's no tricks, no, you know, whatever. Like you just, if it's free, it's free. And so they allowed, you know, of course, ad monetization, but they did not allow any form of in-app purchases. Then a few years later, they en- enabled freemium. And I don't remember the exact dates of that, but I think it was around 2010. But then you started to have these bigger companies like Netflix and uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal and others say, well, hey, that's great. You had in app purchases, but like our business model is subscription. Like you subscribe to our paper. You don't you know, pay for it once a year individually or once a week or once an issue or whatever. So Apple added subscriptions, but for a very limited set of companies. And this was, I think, 2013, maybe even 2012, they started allowing... And actually, it was a really big deal. The Daily, there was this app called The Daily. It launched with the iPad. So maybe it was 2010 when they added that. And it was the first subscription app on the App Store. I had totally forgotten that, but talking through the story reminded me. And it was this big deal, like it was developed just for the iPad. I mean, this is like back, 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 back story. But anyway, so it famously failed. <laughs> but Apple started allowing... To, Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, Rupert Murdoch, exactly. Yeah. It was a startup right. kind of subsidiary of Fox News and a bunch of big developer consultants were on it and Apple worked really closely with them. And uh, so then New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, all them got to do subscriptions. And then Apple opened it up to like fitness apps and certain other like apps. And then in 2016, they finally opened the floodgates where they said, you know, any app can use it, but they still have some kind of restrictions. Like, you know, they and I've heard that they're actually being enforcing this a little stronger. You know, if you make a one-off app that doesn't provide ongoing value, you know, subscriptions don't really make sense. I think we're going to get into this a little later, but like, so Apple is they open the floodgates to the subscription business model, but I think they're also trying to be realistic about not letting just any app do subscriptions. So yeah, it's been this really weird process over the course of 12 years to go from free is always free and only free and paid apps to now like finally having some more business models available to developers. So just briefly, what are the pros and cons for app subscriptions as you see it? And what problems do developers face with this model? I know you touched on this previously, but just kind of summing up what's wrong with this model for app developers? I think that what can go wrong for developers is also very aligned with consumers. And I think this is what goes wrong with consumers as well, is that a user who decides to subscribe to something has to see enough value in it 
and see that value delivered over time, either by continued use and or improvements to the app. So, you know, if this is an app that you're going to use once a month for something that's not really very important to you, overcoming that hurdle of like, I'm actually going to subscribe to this and pay for this. You know, I don't think that customers want to subscribe to that sort of app. On the flip side, and this is where we see, you know, early on, it was apps like Headspace and Calm that have grown tremendously. If it's something that's important to you and valuable to you, and the app is providing that consistently and and something you use consistently that delivers value consistently, I think that's where the business model kind of matches up better. And so I think some developers who don't have that kind of app just think, oh, well, subscriptions is what I, you know, what you need to do to make money. But if you do that and customers don't subscribe, then you're not making money. So you you really got to match the value you're delivering to users and how that value is being delivered and the importance of your app to those users to how much you charge, but then also how you charge. So uh, a great example of this, like I had a mirror app. I actually sold it the last couple of years and it's just, you know, you, it turns on the front-facing camera, you check your teeth or put on your makeup or whatever. That app was a total fluke app for me. Like I didn't think it was going to do very well, but it ended up getting millions of downloads and hundreds of thousands of monthly active users because people do want to just quickly check their teeth and launching the front-facing camera, switching it over, you can't zoom in and out. Like it, it's just not a good experience. But I would have never put subscriptions in that app. It's like you're just checking your teeth. Like, you know, it had ads in it. And then I think it was like, um, I think at the end before I sold it, it was like a $3 in-app purchase to, to, to disable. And that was such a fluke of an app in part because it was simple to build. It didn't require new features. I wasn't like, you know, actively adding all these fancy new features. It's like the job to be done was solved. Like it was done. And so I think, you know, if I tried to add subscription to that, you know, five bucks a year or a dollar a month or whatever, I think I'd get, you know, I think it would actually perform a lot worse than it is currently performing because it's just not, you know, what you think of. So I think that's where developers need to watch out is having consumers in mind as they're doing it. And then kind of, I mean, we, like you said, we already touched on as a developer too, the thing you need to watch out for is subscriptions are incredibly difficult to implement and get right. You need to be verifying receipts. You need to ideally be showing those receipts server side. If you want to do any kind of like win back campaigns and keep track of the status of those uh, subscriptions, you want to be pulling Apple's servers to check for receipt status. If you want to, you know, tie it into your analytics where you can get better data, like it's just, it's a ton of work to do subscriptions well. So again, you know, it kind of goes back to like, if you're, if your app isn't delivering a ton of value and you're, you're not going to do well with subscriptions, it's really easy to waste a month of development time implementing it and then realizing that it, it's not a good fit for your app or you're just underwater, can't keep your head above water trying to get all the infrastructure implemented properly. Right, I got you. So no matter how good model is, you have to be you know, conscious about you know what exactly you're actually achieving and what what's going to be a benefit of using this model in your app. No matter how you know how hard you want to make it extra revenue, if your app 
basically doesn't fit to this model, there's no any sense to you know, spend your time, money, effort to plug this model to see, you know, down the road a few months later that it's not working. It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It's Real really, quick, you'd yeah. probably expect me working at Revenue Cat to be, yay, subscriptions, every developer should use subscriptions. But what's actually really cool is our business model is aligned with developers making more money. So we don't charge per user. I, I got in trouble with this with my mirror app, like the LTV was super low. And so when I tried to install services like Mixpanel, it didn't work for me because I was paying like 700 bucks a month because I had so many users, but I wasn't making that much money. And so with Revenue Cat, instead of charging per user or per API call or whatever, we have tiered plans that include uh, a certain amount of revenue, but we basically charge less than a percent of revenue. And so if an app is not going to make any money doing subscriptions, you know, we don't want you as a customer because you're going to tie up resources and support and you're never going to make any money. But if your app is going to be successful with subscriptions, we're totally incentivized to help you make as much money as possible because the more money you make with subscriptions, the more money we make. So our goal is to optimize for the apps that are going to do really well with subscriptions. So, and so I've actually, I mean, I've discouraged developers. I have one-on-one office hours that I do for Revenue Cat and I've discouraged developers. I've been like, you know, I don't think you know, subscriptions is a good fit for your app because it's not, it's not going to benefit us. It's not going to benefit them. Why should they waste their time on it? So yeah, it's kind of a, I, yeah, I, I, a lot of people don't, you know, view that revenue model. Like why do you charge a percent versus API calls? But like, once I explain it, like, Hey, look, like, you know, that's, it's a misaligned incentives. Like you're going to create a worse customer experience for your users. If you try and minimize your API calls to us, like you want to keep their subscription status updated so that, so you're not locking them out of features that they have and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyways, it's, uh, and even as a user of revenue cat, like having it installed in my apps, like that's, I, I see that as a huge benefit. That's a great honest approach, David. What are your plans for revenue cats? What's in your pipeline? Launching revenue dog, revenue hedgehog? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, obviously I can't get too deep into our product roadmap. But I think, you know, if you if you kind of read between the lines of what we already are doing and and again, I mean it's so fun that like our mission is to help developers make more money. So like our if you think about where our product roadmap is headed, think about like how can a developer make more revenue with subscriptions, right? So it's like retention. Well, that's a huge one. So like, you know, there's some things in our roadmap focused around retention. You know, this price testing is a huge one. So optimizing pricing. And so we're going to continue to improve on this price testing feature. Uh, And we actually, as as a bit of a hint, we actually call it experiments. So price testing is kind of the first experiment that you can do using this feature, but there will be more experiments that you can do using this feature. And then we do think that this LTV model we've developed, especially, again, having so much data to inform it, is going to be a really powerful thing to build on top of as we move forward. So yeah, I mean, I've, again, you know, we're, we're 17 people now. We've already solved a lot of the core issues for developers in implementing subscriptions. And, you know, we're, we're moving quick and building really great tools. In the real short term, we actually are really focused on our dashboard. And, you know, most dashboards are not subscription app oriented. They're more focused around, you know, all, 
you know, you have analytics tools, you have, you know, tools like app figures and the app figures have some good subscription stuff, but we're kind of rebuilding our dashboard from the ground up to help developers be able to do deeper dive into the analytics of what's really going on with my subscription app. So both getting the, the like higher level things like what matters and getting a quick glance at, you know, annual recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue, new subscribers, cancellation rate, you know, those kind of overviews are part of what we're working on, but then also giving developers the tools to like find the things that really matter, that they can actually make informed decisions and that'll actually, again, improve the revenue, you know? So yeah, we've, we got a lot of cool stuff in the pipe and, and uh, more and more people joining the team to help us iterate on that. It's also super exciting to me that to realize that, you know, with 17 people on the team, we're probably bigger than the internal subscription team of any app developer currently out there. You know, I, I doubt that Calm or Headspace or Lightrix or any of these, you know, billion dollar subscription consumer app companies have teams of, of 20 plus, you know, if, if we're not bigger, we're actually closing in on that. And what's exciting is like, now any developer can get access to these tools that before were limited to these big companies who could afford to put huge teams on the on the project. So yeah, our roadmap's pretty exciting. That's awesome. You know, speaking of future, we're literally like a couple of weeks away from the iOS 14 release. And one of the major changes that it will bring on top of new features, all features refinements, IDFA will become opt-in. And so, so far, the range of takes I've heard on this change is really broad from this is going to be an Armageddon to don't worry, everything is going to be fine, just relax. What is your take? Oh, boy. I'll be honest. Like during WWC, my take was Armageddon, like (laughs) the app store's wheels are going to come off the bus. Then it slowly kind of tempered as I read more, talked to more people. I actually wrote a pretty comprehensive overview of kind of analyzing SK Ad Network and these privacy changes on the Revenue Cap blog. And so as I did research for that post, I must have spent like 80 hours just reading and talking to people and, and um, uh, you know, writing and taking notes and then collating those notes. So... So yeah, I've kind of like gone in, in, in waves of like this, this, you know, Armageddon, like, you know, things are falling apart to, oh, things will be fine and we're not going to see a difference. And then, you know, Facebook announces that their Facebook ad network's probably going to go away because targeting is so inefficient, they can't sustain it. And I'm like, oh boy, like, you know, it really, I mean... This is a huge change. It is a, a massive disruption. Ultimately, personally, I think it's fantastic. You know, Apple is ushering in a new era of privacy-friendly user acquisition and user acquisition tracking. But what's frustrating is they kind of... SK Ad Network is still just really half-baked. It's like Apple appears to... And I think it, it just makes sense. Like if you think about incentives, they want user acquisition to be efficient. They want developers to be able to acquire users. And in fact, honestly, they want developers to be able to acquire users as efficiently as possible so that less money goes to Facebook and more money goes to the developers and to Apple. So that the less developers are paying Facebook, the better for Apple. So they're really incentivized to make user acquisition 
efficient and good for developers. So SK Ad Network attempts to allow measurement and some level of you know return on ad spend calculation and that sort of thing, but it is just it's just really half baked. <laughs> so there's been rumors the last couple of weeks, and so I don't know when this podcast is going to go out. Maybe it'll be announced already, but there's been rumors that Apple is going to delay this because it really was. It's like there's a nuclear bomb just kind of floating in the sky headed toward the ground. And we're all kind of having to figure out with it still in the air, like what's going to happen when it lands? How far away do we need to get to like stay safe? So, you know, Facebook's been, I'm sure, you know, putting in insane hours. I'd hate to be on that team, you know, over the summer trying to figure it out. Google's ad teams, I'm sure, have been scrambling. All the MMPs and ad tech companies have been scrambling. And I think we just need more time. I think it's too important for Apple to drop this bomb in a way that disrupts the industry or in a way that causes immediate upheaval and pain that wasn't necessary. So they obviously want to disrupt the industry. They want changes in user acquisition. But what they want is for it to be better for user privacy. And so if they drop a nuclear bomb versus a smart bomb, it's like they need to they need to get smarter about exactly how they're doing it so that it doesn't just decimate everything. Because that's not that's not in their best interest. Like I wrote in my post that that this risks a contraction in app store revenue. So you know paid user acquisition powers so much of the app store economy. And so, and even, even when you think about organic installs and app store search and all those kind of things, well, so many of the apps that show up high in search, they show up high in search because they're also doing paid acquisition, which pushes their conversions and downloads, which signals to the app store search algorithm that it's a good app. So then it goes higher in search. So even organics and, and Apple features apps as they see that they're doing really well. And so you can show Apple how good your app is by buying users and the, seeing those users convert and dialing in those kind of things. So paid acquisition is, is even though it's only one user acquisition channel, it really helps to feed all the rest of the user acquisition channels. And it's the only one that's like reliable. Like you can pay to make it happen. Like you can't force somebody to give you press. You can't force Apple to feature you. You can't force your way to the top of the search results. You can't, you know, none of that is guaranteed. You can't force your users to refer friends and everything. And so it's like, you can pay money to buy users. Maybe it's not efficient, but you can pay money to buy users. So anyways, I'm, I'm kind of going pretty, maybe a little too deep here, but you know, paid user acquisition is, is incredibly important to the app store economy. And if Apple indiscriminately just destroys the entire infrastructure behind it, I think that's going to cause unneeded disruption. But ultimately in the long run, shifting from the invasive privacy violations that are currently used to measure return on ad spend, I think is going to benefit consumers and ultimately end up reshaping the industry in positive ways. But they need to give us a way to better measure. They need to improve SK ad network. They need to you know, give clear directions to, to MMPs and to developers as to, you know, exactly how this is all going to play out, what's going to get rejected, where does fingerprinting fall in, you know, there's just so many open questions and they're not publicly being very communicative, even if, uh, you know, it, it sounds like they talk very closely with people like Facebook and 
I have no idea if the MMPs have an audience with them or whatever, but, but publicly we're not getting a lot of information from them. So I hope they delay it so that they can give us better information so they can improve SK ad network so that we can all as an industry work together to usher in this new privacy focused user acquisition without destroying things that don't need to be destroyed. Right. So they have great intentions, but it needs to be done right to, you know, cause less harm as it seems right now. Cause yeah, right. everybody are scrambling and seeing this bomb on the parachute is going to be dropped precisely as you said all right now we're in the part of the show where i'm asking a few quick questions to my guests to get a better picture of who they are so do you remember your first mobile phone <laughs> i was reviewing these questions just last night late last night with my son and um just he was sitting around and i needed to do it before you know i went to bed to think through this stuff and so this was a funny one because he was like, what was your first mobile phone? Yeah, I mean, he's 11 years old. I'm 41. My first mobile phone was, I don't even remember the brand or whatever, but it was 1997. I was going off to college. And I mean, so few people even had cell phones at that time. I got a pretty high paying job. So it wasn't like my parents were just, you know, footing the bill or something. I got a, a pretty great job in tech. <laughs> so it's 18 in 1997. I got this crazy, like it was, it wasn't those old, like massive phones from the early nineties, but it was, it was a huge compared to modern mobile phones. So yeah, it's been a long time for me. All right. That's, that's a nice story. Nice memory to recall. What new app technologies are you most excited about? You know, being a developer, I think you should have some technologies that you're actually waiting for to be released in, uh, you know, upcoming iOS releases. I mean, we, we kind of already talked about this because I'm super excited for both my apps, but I think the widgets on the home screen and, and even just the new way the widgets are built with SwiftUI and, and up better facilities for updating them and stuff like that. Uh, I'm super excited. And and as a user too, like I've already got iOS 14 on my phone and I think the home screen widgets are fantastic. I'm also, I mean, I'm personally also very excited about the privacy changes. Like I've had limit ad tracking on my device forever. Uh, ever since they introduced it, I turned on limit ad tracking, but I appreciate the way Apple protects and gives customers more control over their personal information. And, and so I, I think that this is a good thing for the industry. It's good for me as a customer. It's good for me as a developer, because like I've, here's the thing, I've always been incredibly conscientious and been very careful about what data I collect, but I, I don't, but it's like, I'm fighting a battle with one hand tied behind my back because all these other developers are collecting tons of data. They're selling user location. Most weather apps sell user location data, and and I don't. So I have you know less revenue, less uh, lower LTV because I'm not selling their data. Uh, so I have not seen a ton of benefit, and I probably should market better around the privacy focus of my apps. But but now in iOS 14, Apple's going to have a little like privacy scorecard front and center on the App Store, and I think that's going to be fantastic for developers like me who have been very careful with user data but haven't really gotten credit for it. And then again, like as a customer, I'm I'm really thrilled about that too. So, all right, great. Uh, that actually was my last question. But before I let you go, David, how can people get in touch with you and know more about what you do? 
Well, if you want to follow all my crazy rants and infrequent political, but every once in a while, I try not to get too political. And uh, That's okay. but I do rant I about the App Store a ton on Twitter, and I'm constantly retweeting and chatting with you know people in the industry and stuff. So Twitter is probably the more interesting place to follow me. It's Dr. Barnard. I'm not a doctor. My middle name's Richard. So Dr. Barnard on Twitter. And then I'm actually writing more and more for our Revenue Cat blog, which sounds like, you know, I've just been pitching Revenue Cat this whole time. But, you know, as a user of Revenue Cat, I really am just excited about the company. It's not just like me as an employee, like, yay, Revenue Cat. It's like me as a user, like it saved me so much time and effort. And and the kind of posts that I like to write for the Revenue Cat blog and like what our like kind of content is geared toward is like really helping people. So I'm pitching the Revenue Cat blog here, but it's actually like I'm writing stuff that will you'll actually probably find useful and interesting not just the the drivel that of content marketers that a lot of people put on their blog so yeah if, uh, you know keep an eye on that we have an rss feed or you can subscribe to the uh, revenue cat newsletter and that's those are probably the two best places just twitter i don't i'm not really active on instagram or anywhere else so that's cool that's cool i'm gonna put all this the contact details into this episode uh, description so people can get in touch with you if they want to get in no more all right thanks for your time david thanks for coming on the podcast yeah, it was a ton of fun thanks for having me bye 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 and that was david bernard developer advocate at revenue cat to listen to more episodes subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify and stitcher just search for business of apps and you will find us easily once you subscribe you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone tablet or computer as soon as we release them And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. See you next week. Bye. This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.